Good morning and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence today. It is a rainy day outside, but we're glad for the sunshine that exists within this building. We're very thankful for the songs that we've been privileged to sing. I was thinking a minute ago, in heaven, I would like to sit right in front of this section right here because these guys can sing. And what a blessing it was just a minute ago to sing, The Lord is My Shepherd. We appreciate so much those of you that are visiting. We hope and pray that you'll come back, honor us with your presence again. We're so thankful for the visitors that come our way on a weekly basis. It might be that you're looking for a church home. We always want to extend to you an invitation to consider the work here. We would love to have you come and be a part of this work and help us do our best to live New Testament Christianity and to make it known to those in this community around us. We're going to be looking at the book of Malachi. And as we look at the four chapters of Malachi, the theme of our study today is just going through the motions. Sometimes it's unfortunate that we get to a point in time in our relationship with God that we're just going through the motions. Our heart isn't into it. And really, that's the setting of the book of Malachi. Malachi addresses a nation of people that were, for all intents and purposes, just going through the motions. Their heart wasn't into it. And so God used Malachi to stir these people up. And sometimes when we get to a point in time when we're just going through the motions, we need to be stirred up. We need to understand how much God has blessed us and how God desires our genuine love for Him. We are to love Him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. If we love Him as we ought to, then we will, well, we won't be going through the motions. So I want us to look for just a minute at the book of Malachi. I want to begin by talking about the privilege that was bestowed on Israel. God's people may not have understood how much he had blessed them. Sometimes we tend to forget the lavish blessings that God has bestowed on us as his people. They had forgotten just how much God had done for them in the past. And so he reminds them, first of all, of his care for them. And then secondly, he talks about the covenant that he had with them. Let me begin by just talking for a minute or two about his care for Israel. If you look at verse 2, and in the book there are a series of statements that are made, and then those statements will be followed by a question. And so in verse 2 of chapter 1, God said to the people to whom he was writing, I have loved you. God loved these people. Now, they may not have understood 
just how much he did love them, but he did. As a matter of fact, back in Deuteronomy chapter 7, God talked about the love that he had for his chosen people. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, he said, I have loved you. I don't know how he could have been any plainer. You know, sometimes we express to people that we love. We verbalize our love to them. Sadly, sometimes there's not a connection made. So God is saying to his people, I have loved you. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, Jeremiah the prophet, writing to the people of God, said on behalf of the Lord, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Again, reminding them of how much he loved them. And then I think about his covenant. God entered into a covenant relationship with his people. As a matter of fact, down in verse 10 of chapter 2, he talks about that covenant. In Exodus chapter 19, after having delivered the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, God said, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will keep my covenant and obey my voice indeed, he said, you will be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine. He said, you will be a peculiar nation a chosen nation. Now then in verse 8, the people responded to that covenant by saying, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So these were privileged people. Those of us today who belong to the body of Christ, we are privileged to be a part of a divine body, a body that calls Jesus Christ his blood. Now, I want to talk for just a minute or two about some of the pollutants that were a part of the nation of Israel. You see, there were some pollutants that were bothering this nation. Malachi, in a very graphic way, talks about some of the characteristics that were prevalent among his people. Let me begin by, first of all, pointing out that they had become insensitive. Now again, if you look at Malachi chapter 1 at verse 2, listen if you would to what God said, I have loved you, says the Lord. Now note their response. In what way have you loved us? Imagine people questioning the powerful, profound, and personal love of Almighty God. Are there not people today that question whether or not God loves them? The Bible declares the love of God over and over again. The Bible talks about how much God loves us. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, Paul said, When we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. In verse 8 he said, but God commendeth his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then John said, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Again, 
How much plainer could God be? Now, no doubt the devil wants people to believe that God doesn't care about them, that God doesn't love them. Here were covenant people to whom God had said, I have loved you, and their response, in what way have you loved us? Had God not demonstrated his love time and again for them? The answer is yes. And you and I, we can look to Almighty God and we think about the lavish love and the great blessings that have been bestowed upon us. We should never question the love of God. God loves each and every person despite our sins, despite our unrighteousness. His love is unconditional. Now there are conditions that must be met in order for us to appropriate the great blessings of God. But these people had become insensitive. And then there is a second characteristic, and that is they were irreverent. Malachi indicted the priest because they were offering what we might call second-rate sacrifices. Listen to what he said down in verse 6. A son offers, or rather, a son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts? To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? Now listen, you offer defiled food on my altar. But you say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? In many respects, these people had more respect for the governor of Persia than they did for the one true living God. And then drop down and look at verse 12. He said, You profane the table of the Lord, in that you say the table of, of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit, its food is contemptible. You also say, Oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick, Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and makes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Let me just pause here and make this observation. Is it not the case that each and every one of us are priests of God? Isn't that what the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 5? That we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through the Lord Jesus Christ? If God is not preeminent in our lives, if we're not giving Him the absolute very best, of our time, our talents, our treasures, then are we any better than they? 
Where in the Bible do you ever read of God saying, just give what you want, just do as you please? We are priests of God. And God demands the very best of our lives. Sometimes it may be the case that we, like Israel of old, give God the scraps. God didn't want their blemished offerings. God wanted the best. God wants our very best. Why? Because it brings him honor and glory. We belong to God. And so everything that we do ought to be done with the intent to bring honor and glory to him. Now, there was a third problem that Israel had in the, day, in the days of Malachi. And that is they had become immoral. Now you might ask the question, well, how so? Malachi indicted these people because, believe it or not, they were divorcing their wives. They were divorcing their mates and marrying pagan women. Listen to him, for example, in verse 11. Malachi said, speaking of the children of Israel, he has married the daughter of a foreign god. In other words, these people had married pagans. Now back again in Deuteronomy chapter 7. God had said to the children of Israel, they were not to intermarry with foreign women. He said they weren't to give their sons to pagan daughters and vice versa. Well, why was that? Because he said, they will turn your heart away from following me to other gods. Now down in verse 16, God said that he hates divorce. Imagine people turning their backs on their mates. Sometimes as the people of God, we forget about the importance of the home life. We forget about the relationships that we enjoy, not just in Christ, but in the context of a Christian home. And sometimes individuals will marry and divorce frivolously, and they'll do so without any regard to the covenant that they entered into in that sacred union known as marriage. You see, the Bible still reads, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And yet here were people that were treating marriage very lightly. Another characteristic of the people of Malachi's day, they had become idolatrous. Down in verse 8 of chapter 3, listen to the question, will a man rob God? And here's the response, yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. He said, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. And the Bible tells us that covetousness is idolatry in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5. These people were withholding that which belonged to Almighty God. Somebody might ask the question, what belongs to God? You remember what Moses wrote in Exodus chapter 19 when God said, 
All the earth is mine. The psalmist said, the world is mine and everything in it. Everything ultimately belongs to God. We are but stewards of that which God has bestowed on us. What is it God demands of me as a steward? That I be faithful, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. We are to give every first day of the week. We are to do so cheerfully, not grudgingly. We give because God has prospered us. We determine how much we give, and then we set it aside and give back to the Lord. Why? For the furthering of His cause. Ultimately, everything belongs to Almighty God. These people were withholding that which was rightly due, the sovereign God of the universe. And then, very quickly, note if you would the final problem plaguing these people. They were impenitent. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, here's what Malachi said. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, in what way shall we return? Here's the problem. God wanted them to come back to him, but they were not willing to do so. Think about the gracious God of heaven. Is it not the case that God wants to enjoy a relationship with us even when we stray away from him? Does he not want us back? Yes. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Go back and read the prophets. Time and again, the words of the prophets fell on deaf ears. God was saying to the children of Israel, return to me, I'll return to you. Sadly, they weren't interested. Now, was there a prescription that would bless the children of Israel? The answer is yes. There was a divine remedy. What did God instruct them to do? Well, I think there are two things that they needed to do to get back on track, spiritually speaking. Now think about, think about where you are spiritually. Sometimes we get off track. Sometimes we're just going through the motion. Sometimes that happens in the context of a family. Sometimes husbands and wives, they're just going through the motions. There's no real genuine love. So the first thing they needed to do, they needed to remember the love of God. Fundamentally, fundamentally speaking, we talk about obeying God. What is it that prompts me to obey God? Well, sometimes it's fear. But as we grow in our Christian life, the reason we obey God is because we understand He loves us and in turn we love Him. John said, He first loved us. And so based upon that love, we in turn reciprocate it. Now back in chapter 1 verse 2, God said, I have loved you. When people understand that God genuinely, deeply, personally loves them. When people understand that, then they're willing to get beyond just going through the motions. The Hebrew writer in chapter 6 talks about how God is not unrighteous to forget our work and labor of love. Sometimes we just go through the motions. We come to services, 
We give an hour of our time. We take the Lord's Supper. We listen to a lesson. We pray. We sing. And we leave. But we're unchanged. Our heart's not in it. Look, God doesn't just want an hour a week from you. He doesn't just want two hours a week. God wants seven days a week, 24 hours a day. That's what God wants from you. God wants us to get beyond just showing up for services or showing up for Bible study. God wants our heart. He wants everything. You remember the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2 when he said he'd been crucified with Christ and the life that he was living in the flesh, he was living by faith in the Son of God. He would say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So remembering the love of God. When I come to understand how much God loves me and what God has done on my behalf, then what does that merit from me? It merits my absolute best. It means I'm going to give God everything. I'm going to give him my heart, my soul, my mind. You name it, it's his. Because that's what he means to me. Now Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you're just going through the motions, then the kingdom's not first. His righteousness is not first. And so... First and foremost, remember the love of God. That's what, that's what these people needed to do. Remember the love of God. And then secondly, they needed to remember the law of God. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. Here's what Malachi said. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Now, why remember the law of God? Why would... Malachi say to these people, look, here's what you need to do. You need to remember God's law because contained in the law of God are, as Peter would say, exceedingly great and precious promises. You see, if I forget about the love of God and then I forget about the law of God, that is his word, what happens is I distance myself from all of the great blessings that are spoken of in Scripture. I can forget about the fact that God in heaven has pardoned my sins. I can forget about the fact that God in heaven has said His presence will be with me wherever I go. Remember what the Hebrew writer said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I can forget about the blessings of prayer. You see, it's a two-way street. God speaks to us through His Word and then we speak to him through prayer. Now, if I, have, if I am just going through the motions, it's easy for me to forget about these great promises. And then what about the peace that I'm to have as a child of God? The Bible talks about the peace that passes all understanding. There are some people in the church, there are some folks that belong to God who have anything but peace in their lives. Why? Because they've forgotten about the love of God. They've forgotten about the law of God. And so their heart is not at peace. And then I think about that fabulous home in heaven 
that the Bible talks about. If I'm not careful, I can forget that this life will one day come to a crashing halt. It, it may come when we're young. It might come in middle age. It might come as an old person. But I promise you one thing, it will come. So what we're working for is not necessarily the here and now, but rather we're working for eternity, aren't we? We're laboring for the cause of Christ because we believe God has in store for us a better place. Listen to what Jesus said. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. That is, many abiding places. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. These folks needed to remember God's law. You know, David, in the long ago, said, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. What is it that dispels the gloom of a world darkened by sin? The word of God. What is it that helps me to overcome a life of mediocrity? A life that is nothing more than just going through the motions. There are some people like that. They go through life, just, they're just going through the motions. They get up on Monday morning, they go to work, they're just, they're just putting in another day. They come home, they eat, they go to bed, they get up the next day, do it again. They're just going through the motions. Same thing with regard to their relationships. There's not anything there. I want to ask you a question. And I want you to dig deep and answer this question. How's your relationship with the Lord? Be honest with yourself. Are you just going through the motions? Or is Christianity and all that is involved is it where your true passion lies? In, in other words, is Christ the most important thing in your life? If you can't say within your heart that the Lord is number one, if you can't say that my life is more than just going through the motions, you need to make some changes. We can't turn the world upside down until you're turned right side up. You've got to get your life right in order to help us get other people right with God. Because you see, they're looking at you and me. And we can go through the motions. And let me tell you what, when we just go through the motions, people know it. They can see it. On the other hand, if the Lord is what he ought to be in our lives, I promise you, people can see it. They can tell whether or not you're living the dream. So, if you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you, begin the life that can only be had in Christ today. Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life 
and have it more abundantly. You want an abundant life? You want a good life? You want a happy life? Then obey the gospel. On Pentecost Day, here's what Peter said. Repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Those who did that on Pentecost Day, the Bible says God added them to the church, Acts 2, 47. Now, it might be the case that you're here today, you're a Christian, but it's been a long time since your heart's been in this. It's been a long time since the Lord really meant something to you. If that's the case, I want to encourage you. Resolve today. That's going to change. You know, the answer, turn back to God. The Bible says that we're to confess our sins one to another. Pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. And God will abundantly pardon us. We stand and sing.